0: body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to DRIFT. It's not often we do a two- or three-part story. The Jungle Book and Benjamin Button are two such tales you may wish to dive into on Drift. But Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, A Voyage to Lilliput, is totally worth two parts. And so here we are with the concluding chapters. When we left Gulliver, he had washed up on an uncharted island after a shipwreck tied down and treated with the utmost caution and, yes, some animosity. Until recently in the story, he had been a prisoner of the tiny people who found and secured him as he slept on a beach. Having learned their language and having endeared himself to them, Gulliver has been freed from captivity with a promise that he will be fed and treated well just as long as he pledges to defend his captors from their longtime enemies. We'll return to his gentle adventures in just a moment. First, let me thank you for being here and thank Envy Pillow for making it possible for you to do so at no cost. It is said that we spend a third of our lifetime in bed, and I'm imagining that's probably where you are right now. The importance of where you rest your head is often overlooked. But the support, the components of that pillow, and even what happens when you're done with it, those are all things that have been taken into careful consideration by the duo that created Envy Pillow. Just a small Canadian startup by two RNs, women who wanted to help eliminate sleep lines and aid people in recovering from facial surgery. Since then, EnvyPillow has become the only natural latex pillow with copper technology for eliminating microbes. Okay, this is a lot to take in when you're sleepy, so learn more in the morning at envypillow.com and save 10% on whatever you love at their site by using the code word DRIFT. Just before we get into part two of Gulliver's Travels, let's take a few deep breaths together as you get set to drift off. We'll start with a big inhale. And out. Good. And we'll do it again, this time, consciously dropping your shoulders, releasing their hold, okay? In and out. Now let's give your body some attention. Start at your feet and if you're able, swivel them at your ankles. Good. Now the other direction. Now move up and clench your calves, holding and release. Now do the same with your thighs and your backside, clench and let go. Letting your body sink into your recliner, your bed, your airline or train seat, wherever you are. Now to your belly. Here, let's just take a big breath and fill your chest and your tummy. Now exhale and relax. Keeping your shoulders down, let's move to your arms and hands. Clench your fists and let them go. Waving your fingers, waving the tension of your day goodbye. And finally, to your face, let your jaw hang limp. No more tightening or gritting there. Now relax your eyes, close them heavily. Your eyebrows, they're down. And just let your neck release its hold and allow your head to rest heavily on your pillow. Finally, one more breath in, big and deep. And exhale now. And as you do, think these words. I am safe. I am loved. I am at peace. And if you're ready... Let's drift. Let's pick up where we left off on Gulliver's Travels with the final chapters four and five. I communicated to His Majesty the plan I formed for seizing the enemy's whole fleet. The Empire of Blefuscu is an island parted from Lilliput only by a channel Eight hundred yards wide and six feet deep in the middle at high water. I walked toward the coast, where, lying down, I took out my spy glass and viewed the enemy's fleet at anchor, about fifty men of war ships, and other vessels. I then came back to my house and gave orders for a great quantity of the strongest cables and bars of iron. Now, the cable was about as thick as thread, and the bars the length and size of a knitting needle. I trebled the cable to make it stronger, and twisted three of the iron bars together, bending the ends into a hook. Having thus fixed fifty hooks to as many cables, I went back to the coast, and taking off my coat, shoes, and stockings, Walked into the sea in my leather jacket about half an hour before high water. I waded as fast as I could, swimming in the middle about thirty yards till I felt ground, and thus arrived at the fleet in less than half an hour. The enemy was so frightened when they saw me that they leaped out of their ships and swam ashore. Then, fastening a hook to the hole at the prow of each ship, I tied all the cords together at the end. Meanwhile, the enemy discharged several thousand arrows, many of which stuck in my hands and face. My greatest fear was for my eyes, which I would have lost if I had not suddenly thought of the pair of spectacles which had escaped the emperor's searchers. I took them out and put them upon my nose, and thus armed, went on with my work, in spite of the arrows, many of which struck against my lenses, but only slightly disturbed them. Then, taking the knot in my hand, I began to pull, but not a ship would stir, for they were anchored. Letting go the cord, I cut with my knife the cables that fastened the anchors, Receiving more than two hundred shots in my face and hands. Then I took up again the knotted end of the cables to which my hooks were tied, and with great ease drew fifty of the enemy's largest men of war after me. When the Blefiscutians saw the fleet leaving, they set up a scream of grief and despair. When I had got out of danger, I stopped a while to pick out the arrows that stuck in my hands and face and rubbed on some of the same ointment that was given to me at my arrival. I then took off my spectacles and waded on to the royal port of Lilliput. The emperor and his whole court stood on the shore awaiting me. They saw the ships move forward in a large half-moon, I came in a short time within hearing, and holding up the end of the cable by which the fleet was fastened, I cried in a loud voice, Long live the Emperor of Lilliput! The prince received me at my landing, with all possible joy, and made me a nardal on the spot, which is the highest title of honor among them. His Majesty wished to conquer the whole empire of Blefuscu, making him sole monarch of the world. But I protested that I would never bring a free and brave people into slavery. And though the wisest of the ministers agreed, His Majesty could never forgive me. So, from this time, a plot began between himself and those of his ministers who were my enemies, that nearly ended in my utter destruction. About three weeks later, there arrived an embassy from Blefuscu, with humble offers of peace, very advantageous to our emperor. There were six ambassadors, with a train of about five hundred persons, all very magnificent. They paid me many compliments on my valor and generosity, and invited me to their kingdom in the Emperor's name. I told them I resolved to visit his royal person before I returned to my own country. So, the next time I saw our Emperor, I asked his general permission to visit the Blefuscudian monarch. This he granted me, but in a very cold manner. And afterward I learned the reason. When I was just preparing to pay my respects to the Emperor of Blifuscu, a distinguished person at court, to whom I had once done a great service, came to my house very privately at night. I fastened the door, placed my visitor on the table, and sat down by it. His lordship's face was full of trouble and he asked me to hear him with patience in a manner that highly concerned my honour and my life you are aware he said that skyresh bolgolam has been your mortal enemy ever since your arrival and his hatred is increased since your great success against blifaskiu by which his glory as admiral is obscured this lord and others Have accused you of treason, and several meetings have been called on your account. Out of gratitude for your favors, and risking my head for your service, I've learned that this was the charge against you. First, that you, having brought the imperial fleet of Plefuscu into the royal port, were commanded by His Majesty to seize all the other ships and put to death all the exiles. And that, like a false traitor to his most serene majesty, you excused yourself from the service on pretense of unwillingness to destroy the lives of innocent people. Again, when ambassadors arrived from the court of Blifuscu, like a false traitor, you aided and entertained them, though you knew them to be servants of a prince lately in open war against imperial majesty. Moreover, you're now preparing to voyage to the court of Blifuscu. My friend continued, his majesty often brought up the services you had done him, while the admiral and treasurer insisted that you should be put to a shameful death. But Reldrasol, secretary for private affairs, who has always proved himself your friend, suggested that his majesty only give orders to put out both your eyes, and justice might be satisfied. At this, Bulgolam rose up in fury, wondering how the secretary dared desire to preserve the life of a traitor. And the treasurer, pointing out the expense of keeping you, also urged your death. But his majesty said that since the council thought the loss of your eyes too easy a punishment, some other might afterward be inflicted, and the secretary said that your allowance might be gradually lessened, so that, for want of sufficient food, you should grow weak and faint and die in a few months, leaving your skeleton for the admiration of posterity. Thus he went on, It was commanded that the plan of starving you should be kept a secret, but the sentence of putting out your eyes was entered on the books. In three days your friend the secretary will come to your house and read the accusation before you and point out the great mercy of his majesty that only condemns you to the loss of your eyes. Twenty of his majesty's surgeons will attend to make sure the operation is well performed as you lie on the ground. I leave you, said my friend, to consider what measures you will take. Well, I remained alone in great perplexity. At first I was bent on resistance, for while I had liberty, I could easily, with stones, pelt the metropolis to pieces. But I soon rejected that idea with horror remembering the oath I had made to the emperor and the favors I had received from him. At last, having his majesty's leave to pay my respects to the emperor of Blifuscu, I resolved to go. I went to the coast, and entering the channel between wading and swimming, reached the port of Blifuscu, where the people who had long expected me led me to the capital. His Majesty, with the royal family and great officers of the court, came out to receive me, and they entertained me in a manner suited to the generosity of so great a prince. I did not, however, mention my disgrace with the Emperor of Lilliput, since I did not suppose that the prince would disclose the secret while I was out of his power. But in this it soon appeared, I was deceived. Chapter 5 Three days after my arrival, walking to the northeast coast of the island, I saw, far out in the sea, something that looked like a boat overturned. I pulled off my shoes and stockings, and wading two or three hundred yards, I could plainly see It was a real boat, which I supposed might have been driven from a ship in a storm. I returned immediately to the city for help, and after a huge amount of labor, I managed to get my boat to the royal port of Bifuscu, where a great crowd of people appeared, full of wonder at the sight of so prodigious a vessel. I told the emperor, that my good fortune had brought this boat, which might aid in my return to my native country, and begged his orders for materials to fit it up and leave to depart, which he was pleased to grant. Meanwhile, the Emperor of Lilliput, uneasy at my long absence, but never imagining that I knew of his plans, sent a person of rank To inform the Emperor of Blefuscu of my disgrace. He expected that his brother of Blefuscu would have me sent back to Lilliput, bound hand and foot, to be punished as a traitor. The Emperor of Blefuscu answered that sending me bound was impossible. Moreover, though I had taken away his fleet, he was grateful to me for many good works I had done him in making the peace. Both their majesties would soon be made easy, for I had found a prodigious vessel on the shore, able to carry me on the sea, which he had given orders to fit up, and he hoped in a few weeks both empires would be free of me. The messenger returned to Lilliput, and I hastened my departure, resolving never more. To put confidence in princes. In about a month, I was ready to leave. The Emperor of Blefuscu, with the Empress and the royal family, came out of the palace, and I lay down on my face to kiss their hands, which they graciously gave me. His Majesty presented me with fifty purses of sprugs, their greatest gold coin, and his picture. Full length, which I put immediately into one of my gloves to keep it from being hurt. Many other ceremonies took place at my departure. I filled the boat with meat and drink, and took six cows and two bulls alive, with as many ewes and rams, intending to carry them into my own country. And to feed them on board, I had a good bundle of hay. And a bag of corn. I would gladly have taken a dozen of the people, but this was a thing the emperor would by no means permit, except with their own consent and desire. Finally, I set sail. When I had made twenty-four leagues, by my reckoning, from the island of Blifoscu, I saw a sail steering to the northeast. I hailed her. But could get no answer, yet I found I gained upon her, for the wind slackened, and in half an hour she spied me and discharged a gun. I came up with her between five and six in the evening, September twenty sixth, seventeen o one, but my heart leapt within me to see her English colors. I put my cows and sheep, Into my coat pockets and got on board with all my tiny cargo. The captain received me with kindness and asked me to tell him what place I came from last, but at my answer he thought I was raving. However, I took my black cattle and sheep out of my pocket, which, after great astonishment, clearly convinced him. We arrived in England. In April 1702. I stayed two months with my wife and family, but my eager desire to see foreign countries would suffer me to remain no longer. However, while in England, I made great profit by showing my cattle to persons of quality and others, and before I began my second voyage, I sold them for six hundred pounds. I left fifteen hundred pounds with my wife and fixed her in a good house. Then, taking leave of her and my boy and girl, with tears on both sides, I sailed on board the adventure. Ah, the irresistible call of the sea, and off he goes again, gulliver on his travels. And as we set our sails for a restful sleep, I wish you a good night and sweet dreams.